As certified financial planners, we've seen firsthand how financial wellness is connected to other areas of wellness in our lives. Join us as we explore the relationship between our physical, emotional, and financial well-being and share the habits and tools we found effective in the pursuit of a balanced, intentional life. I'm Lauren. I'm Donna Grace. This is Life Rebalanced. Welcome to the Life Rebalanced podcast. You're listening to episode 23, and we're discussing how we can improve our relationship with money this year. New Year's resolutions tend to be about becoming healthier, and statistically, we're looking to improve the health of our bodies and our money. 48% of all New Year's resolutions actually are about creating better habits around our physical health or improving our financial situation. But rather than calling them financial resolutions, we'd prefer to frame the conversation as creating habits that will move us toward our financial wellness goals. So really, how can we improve our relationship with money so that we can make better decisions and create a feeling of confidence and peace around our money? That's really the goal. How do we want to feel when it comes to our money? Most people who come to visit us in our financial planning practices are seeking this feeling. We get there by going through the financial planning process, but sometimes it involves changing habits around the way we make financial decisions or how we frame the decisions that we're making. So much of the way we view our money centers around the feelings we have about the decisions we're making. It's personal. Personal financial planning is personal and it can be emotionally charged. And if we address our issues from this perspective, we can create a framework for the decisions that will serve us going forward. If you recall, when we talked about goals versus systems in any area, a goal is something that can be accomplished. It's something like paying off my credit cards or reaching a 15% savings rate or maybe saving 20% for a down payment on a house. But if you create a system that employs habits that serve our financial goals, as opposed to just focusing on one goal, we're really creating a new financial identity for ourselves. We will identify as someone who doesn't take on consumer debt or someone who's saving for the future. And most importantly, if you slip up or fall off the horse or however you want to say it, it's okay because you know that you can just make your next decision be a good one. The next one can be a decision that keeps us moving forward. So Lauren, let's talk about the framework. What's the framework we can use for moving towards financial wellness? Well, it all centers around gaining clarity or to use a more popular term these days, being mindful, really. And you might be familiar with one of Maya Angelou's most famous quotes, which was, if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. Obviously, she wasn't talking about budgeting or spending habits, but what she was talking about was really honoring and respecting the past, knowing where we've come from and how it's contributed to where we are today. So if you apply this to the philosophy, the way we have and do make decisions about our money, in the most basic way, it can simply mean figure out the patterns and decisions that brought you here to your present situation. If they haven't served you well, let's work to replace those behaviors with better ones. And there are really three steps to this process. Sure. So first, you'd want to gain clarity about your present, right? You want to know your situation. And the first step is, I mean, it's not exciting, but it's to gather your information and get a clear picture of your present financial status. No matter how ugly or how pretty it is, you need to know where you stand financially. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then secondly, you want to gain clarity about where you want to go. 
So write down some clearly defined financial goals. This helps to give you a target. You can inform your journey. Because if you don't know what you're trying to accomplish to get the feeling of confidence and peace around your money, then you really have no idea what you need to do to get there. And then third, gain clarity about what has informed your relationship with money. What are the beliefs and the behaviors that led you to your current situation? So this could mean examining how money was discussed and how it was used in your household growing up, how you made decisions about your spending and your saving and investing in the past, and then how those beliefs and behaviors around money are serving you or are they holding you back now? And Donna Grace, I'd really love to dig in and walk through each of those steps and give some concrete things that we can do to really apply this framework. Oh yeah. The first step, how do you get clarity about the present? The way you do that is to take stock of where you are financially by creating a statement of net worth or a personal balance sheet, so to speak. So we as financial advisors really view our financial wellness through the lens of net worth. It's like when you go to the doctor's office and they take your temperature, they take your pulse, they take your blood pressure. Those are really quick and easy ways to see, are you doing well physically? And this is how we assess, are you doing well financially? And really what you wanna do is look at the net worth and balance sheet is to simply add up all of the things that you own. So the value of your bank accounts, your investment accounts, any real estate you might own. If you have equity in a business, all of those things are your assets. So you total those up and then you look at any liabilities you have, whether that be student loan debt, a mortgage, perhaps you have credit card debt you're dealing with. All of those things you subtract from your assets and the difference between the two gives you your net worth. And your goal for where you should be from a net worth perspective shifts and changes as you age. So when you're just getting out of college, your goal may simply be to have a slightly positive net worth by paying down student loan debt. I was thinking most people are probably negative when they come out of school. Like if you went into school and took out student loans, then the liability side of your balance sheet is significantly more than the asset side at that point in time. So if you do this exercise and find yourself there, don't be alarmed, right? Correct. So if someone came into, if we're using the medical example again, if someone came into our doctor's office, so to speak, and had negative net worth, we wouldn't automatically say they're financially unwell. We'd have to assess and look at them as an individual and say, yes, if you're 23, just graduated, just starting out building your net worth, you are in a healthy situation for your stage of life. Right. And new business owners will often find themselves in that position as well, especially if you took on debt to start a business, you may be on the negative side to start out. And assessing whether or not it makes sense is important. I'm glad you pointed that out, that just because you have a negative net worth doesn't automatically mean that you're in a bad situation. It really is on a case-by-case basis and you have to consider the context and the circumstances and what you're driving towards. Yes. And really what you're looking at is over the course of time, is your net worth increasing over time? So as long as you're seeing that progression over time, you are heading in the right direction. But then the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we drive our net worth in a positive direction? Yeah. And I think that the next exercise to do is really to go through your cash flow. There's some people are really good about tracking their cash flow, either through an app on their phone Other people just like to use a spreadsheet. Whatever serves you best and whatever you're going to stick with, I would say is the right choice. There isn't one best option, but you need to know your inflow and your outflow because if you need to change something, there are only really two things you can do. You can improve what's coming in 
or you can improve what's going out. So find a way to earn more money or find a way to spend less. Some people will do things like selling something. Like if you have a very expensive car, sell the car and downsize. Look to reduce expenses that way or sell on Poshmark. All that stuff that you accumulated that you don't need, sell that and generate income that way. You can be creative with your cash flow if you need to make some changes. But if you're looking to improve your net worth, you have to know what you're dealing with. And that's what knowing your situation is all about. Don't be afraid of what your reality is. There's no shame in it. There's no judgment in it. I would say the fact that you're bothering to look in the first place is a good sign. So congratulations. And now, once you know the situation, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it may be, this is your opportunity to move forward and do well. But you have to be upfront and you have to be very honest about where you stand and about how your cash flow is influencing it. Absolutely. And once you have that clear picture of where you are, then the question becomes, where do I want to go? So that's step two in this. So how do we identify where you're going with things, the direction you're heading in? First and foremost, writing down clearly defined financial goals that you can work toward is really critically important. The odds of you achieving your goals improve dramatically when we write them down. There really is something to this. And not only that, but I would say that if you are managing your finances with a partner, it's even more critical that you write things down because you need to recognize out there in the world that the two of you have the common goals and you're both rowing in the same direction. Some examples of those financial goals that you might have that you can measure and write down are things like paying off student loans. Perhaps you have a goal to create an emergency fund of six months of your spending needs, or maybe you have children and you want to send them to college without going into debt or taking out loans. You want to be able to save for that goal. You may want to leave your current corporate job and either buy or start a business Perhaps you want to increase your savings rate. So a common goal to target is to say, I want to save 15% of my income toward retirement. Maybe you need to get there by incrementally adding 1% to your savings rate each year. A good rule of thumb would be to have three times what your salary is saved by the time you're 40. So that's a benchmark you can target. And then maybe a very common goal when you're younger is to save 20% toward the down payment on a house. And maybe you put a time frame around that goal. Maybe that's in the next two years or three years. And then once you have those goals, it's important to break them down into manageable steps. Because if you simply say, I want to, by the time I'm 40, save three times my salary, well, how are you going to do that? So you want to almost reverse engineer and back into if I'm 30 now and I want to save three times my salary by the time I'm 40, you've got 10 years to do that. What does that look like? How much do you need to save per month to be able to do that? Yeah, I love that you said it's great to have a goal, but you have to figure out how. Like the devil is always in the details. So I would say you have to really look at what those details are. I love the reverse engineer idea. You just say, okay, if this is my end goal, what do I have to do within a time frame to get there? That's great. But then you have to decide if it's realistic. If when you're doing SMART goals, the R in SMART stands for realistic or relevant, depending who you're talking to. Be realistic. If you have $50,000 in student loans and you want to pay them off in two years, I love that goal. That sounds fantastic. But if you're only making $80,000 a year, you're going to be hard pressed to make that happen. I'm not saying you can't, but you would have to make some very intentional decisions and 
and probably some lifestyle changes to make that happen. I know people who have made extremely austere lifestyle choices and they did it for a short period of time because they had an intense debt repayment goal. And there are so many examples of those online. If you search the FIRE movement, these are people who are looking in to say, all right, I am going to, for a time in my life, make, you can call them sacrifices, whatever, but it's for an intense goal. Yeah. And I can speak about my friend's experience because I know she would share it if she were here with us. But what tends to happen sometimes in those situations is it's almost like yo-yo dieting where you achieve your goal, but then you immediately go right back into it. You eat all the cake. Yes, yes. <laughs> as soon as... <laughs> yes. I have a friend who, as you described, she and her husband had $100,000 of debt and they paid it all down in a ridiculous time frame. It was something like a year and a half. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Good for that. They were really intense about it and really focused and did an amazing job. But then you're suffering from burnout. And slowly but surely. It takes energy to do that. It does. And unfortunately, they went right back and they've since paid down the next debt that they incurred. That's so interesting. We relate the financial planning process and decisions you make about your money and the way you have a plan. We relate it to health decisions all the time. We talk about a financial diet and compare it to a nutritional diet. But this is one of the first times I've really heard a true life example of the binge and purge cycle. You think of the binge and purge cycle when it comes to food, people understand that. But yeah, that is insane. So they worked towards a goal, they accomplished it, but they had not changed their habits. They had not implemented a system. They did not create a new identity for themselves that was around making good decisions. That is so interesting. Oh my gosh. So they got the idea of having the goal in sight, but it doesn't sound to me, and we've talked about, we, we have an episode on a values-based budget that you can search, but I think that when you can create a goal around your values and a budget around your values, it makes it easier, not just to stick with for the short term, but also to stick with for the long term in your life in general. Because if your goal and your budget truly reflects your value, like paying down debt so you can free up cash to put toward your child's education or lowering your expenses so you can start that business, it makes your choices a lot easier, but it also makes them not just about the goal. It makes them about what you value and is probably better for long-term sustainability. Absolutely. And it's like we say too, focusing on developing a system rather than simply running toward a goal as quickly as you can and viewing it as a temporary, in their mind, the way they were able to achieve that is literally they like ate rice and beans Oof. because they knew I only have to do this for a short period of time. You can do anything for a short period of time. You can. You can deprive yourself, but I don't want it to be restrictive. I don't want it to be about deprivation. I want it to be about making positive choices for what you value. Yes. And I think that's really different. It is. And it actually leads into that third step in what we're talking about really getting clarity about the beliefs and behaviors that led you to your current financial situation. What is your relationship with money? And this is probably one of the most difficult things for people to identify and change. It's that behavioral finance component that we as financial advisors talk about all the time. In so many ways, we are addressing psychological issues around money rather than the concrete dollars and cents analytics. Analytics don't work. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you actually make if you are caught in a habit loop of making emotionally based financial decisions. 
Some ways I feel that people can get clarity in this area is really to ask yourself a lot of questions. Things like, did you grow up in a household where money was tight and spending decisions had a lot of anxiety around them? Or maybe it was that money wasn't wasn't tight, but your parents may still have had that mindset of scarcity and anxiety around not having enough. Or it could be a situation, were you in a situation where money wasn't an issue and spending was never even discussed? You didn't learn how to make spending decisions based on what you value. You simply bought what you wanted anytime you wanted. And perhaps your lifestyle, maybe your parents were able to sustain that, but maybe that doesn't work for you in your current financial situation. And the thing that I think is really important as we're asking ourselves these questions is to really get in touch with what are my values and what are the things that I want to carry forward and teach my children? Because in my experience, this really is a generational thing. We see the mindset of people's parents and how they grew up affect their decisions. I can't tell you, and Donna Grace, I'm sure you have this experience too, how many baby boomers who were raised by children of the Great Depression have certain mindsets around money that were given to them. They were placed upon them and they may not have stopped to ask themselves, does this reality, does this mindset apply to my life currently? Oh, sure. When you think about the baby boomer generation and their parents, some of their parents, depending on how old they are, if they're younger or older, if they're older, they saw their parents struggle. They saw, or maybe their parents had come out of the depression, but they pinched every penny. When I look at my own grandparents who would save, oh my gosh, our holiday tablecloths, there was a paper tablecloth that we used every Thanksgiving underneath a plastic tablecloth on the dining room table forever. That is something I would throw away. Yes. Because it was the idea that like you waste not, want not. Now, on the one hand, my mother would always say, oh, they were just being environmentally conscious before it was the cool <laughs> thing to do. But part of it was also this attitude of we don't waste. We want to be conservative with our money We because you don't want to struggle because they have those images of just people struggling financially and have an attitude of scarcity at that point. Yeah. You can show a financial plan to someone sometimes that is beautiful and it shows they can literally live to 120 if they want to in their current lifestyle. And it's still like they have to get over the mental barrier. Yes. Accept that they have enough and they will be okay. Absolutely. And what you were describing speaks to the fact that your actions, the intention behind them really matters. So your grandparents being environmentally conscious, my grandparents did the same thing. I can tell you right now, the best plastic silverware, in their opinion, came from (laughs) Carl's Jr. And they would save and wash it and take it home. (laughs) And they didn't need to do that. It wasn't out of a financial necessity. It was out of a fear of wasting. It came from a fear-based place. And I think that Mm. when you look at it, the being environmentally conscious and making those decisions out of a love of our environment and our world and wanting to be conscious about the decisions we make is a much different attitude behind your behavior than this fear of, I have money now, but what if at some point in the future I don't and I need this plastic silverware or this paper tablecloth? Oh, absolutely. And so by assessing and getting clarity around your decision-making and what's driving your behaviors and your attitudes about money, really, we're just trying to get clarity on what is ours versus what is something that someone else has layered on. Because if we're making financial decisions based on someone else's values, It's not going to work for us in the long term. 
Oh, yeah. I agree. It's hard to do this because it is personal. It can be hard to do this. I'm the first to admit. But if you look back, if you go through those kinds of questions, you do some real introspection, take a look at the experiences you've had, and now apply an objective filter to it if you can. And if you can't, work with a coach, <laughs> like work with a coach or an advisor, but take an objective view to it. Maybe then you can overcome your attitudes and behaviors that aren't serving you, that aren't moving you towards your goals. We all have the power to make our own decisions. We can decide if the experiences that we had when we were growing up are real or not. You can say, you know, is this reality or is this something that I'm making up in my head? Did the way our families talked about money, everybody has phrases. If you think back like, oh, my mom would always say, or my dad would always say, or my grandparents, those things that in your mind are just cute that they would say and nostalgic for you. Those are the kinds of things that actually inform your ideas and behaviors about money. So if you can think about those things, ask yourself, do they actually set a good example? Are all of their isms, do you have like grandpa-isms or whatever they are, do they set a good example for financial wellness or do they actually just create anxiety and stress? What are some of the good decisions that you can take ownership of now so that you can start a new cycle and then pass on those attitudes that reflect a positive money relationship to the next generation. If you have children, you're modeling behavior that they're going to inherit and they're going to take on. So if you have children, it's not just about you making good decisions for yourself so you can have peace of mind and clarity and a good relationship with money, but it's so that you can help model good behavior for them so you can pass on a good relationship with money to your kids. We've said this a million times, but it's it's just a tool. It doesn't have a personality. There doesn't need to be shame or judgment around it. It's literally just a tool or a means to an end for us to accomplish our goals. And I would rather say than accomplish our goals to create a lifestyle that reflects our values. And we can approach using that tool from a place of scarcity and anxiety or we can do it from a place of abundance and with positivity and with the idea that we can use it for good. And I think that what we're really talking about is having a healthy attitude about money. And that's not something that in society we talk about how to do and how to implement. We talk about how to have a healthy body image. So for example, I know I don't ever want to say anything negative about my perception of my body in front of my children. I want to teach them to have a healthy attitude about their physical well-being. And in the same way, it's important to set up the framework we're talking about so that you can go through life with a healthy relationship with money. And part of that from a very tangible situation is coming up with this plan knowing what you need to do to work toward the goals, because that allows you the freedom to make other decisions without that anxiety or guilt or fear, because you know you're not putting your long-term goals in jeopardy. You've already planned for them and are working toward them. And you have the freedom to be generous with the rest of your money, to do the things that align with your values. And this is the kind of clarity we're really talking about. Oh, I love that. That's one of my favorite things when we're doing a financial plan. You put a plan in place and then your client says, oh, I there's a change. <laughs> like I would like to help with a wedding or I would like to pay off my child's law school debt or whatever it is. Can I do it? And they don't know. They don't know. Can I do this? So there could be anxiety around that decision. But if you then go plug it into the financial plan, you can say, no, you're fine. 
you're absolutely fine. You can afford to be generous. You can afford to have a celebration, whatever it is. You don't jeopardize your other plans that are around your your other core goals. And even in little things, like when it comes to smaller goals, like paying off the debt, if you know that if you pay X dollars a month, that you're going to get to your goal in your stated time, then any decisions you make around that are with other excess money. That's fine. You don't need to feel guilty. I don't believe in approaching all of this from being restrictive or just focusing on the negative. If you give something up to put more money towards your debt, or you give something up to put more money towards your savings, reframe the way you're looking at that decision. You didn't actually give something up to put your money in an account or to pay a lender. You chose to prioritize, I don't know, your child's education that you're saving for because education is something you've identified as a primary goal. Or you've chosen to pay down the debt because lowering your expensive will allow you to put that money into a business you're starting, which is a passion of yours, and that will improve your quality of life. These may not be your values, but just replace them with whatever makes sense for you. Approaching your money decisions in this way can help you move towards financial wellness this year and going forward because it's creating, implementing a philosophy or a framework or a system versus checking something off a list. So it'll be good going forward. And if you would like some more inspiration along your forward journey, you can follow us on Instagram at life underscore rebalanced, and we will help you stay on track with developing the healthy habits you need to create wellness in all areas of your life. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to hearing from you. Please feel free to DM us. Let us know what you think of the episode or if you have any questions. And until next time, be well. Be well. Be well. 